All right. Well, I wonder what you think of when you uh, think of friendship. Uh, is it kind of laughing with that old friend you haven't seen for a while, or um, maybe it's a, a memory of uh, someone being beside you and just silently listening when you're in uh, pain and uh, suffering? It can be a whole bunch of things. For myself, it's kind of like a a camera reel of memories. Um, of all of those kinds of things that, that comes into my mind when I think about friendship. And it brings joy um, and joy towards these special people in my life. But what uh, makes friendship difficult to talk about is that friendship is not only between us, equals. Uh, it's something that God talks about between himself and us as his creatures. It's kind of... A bit baffling. Uh, Proverbs 18.24, a classic Proverbs, which I'm sure maybe Pete will mention in a couple of weeks' time, says, A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We, okay, that makes sense. Yep. Uh, but friendship is, always a wor- is also a word used to describe God's relationship with his people and vice versa. For example, uh, James in James chapter 2, verse 23 says... And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now I'm su- I suspect I'm not alone in referring to God as our friend or ourselves as God's friend. Carries probably significantly more baggage and peril than referring to each other as friends. The last thing I want to do is irreverently suggest that God is my friend like good old Barry from across the road. Uh, This is the complexity of using words shaped by our culture to describe things of God. It can feel shallow to talk about friendship with God when we talk about a relationship between flawed, finite creatures like us and our perfect, infinite creator of the universe. But if God calls us his friends, we are. And it just so happens that being God's friend is quite possibly the most indescribably precious reality in the universe so let's uh let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater that would be unwise and let's uh have a look at a few case studies of what it means to be god's friend and then we'll consider just some brief implications of what that might mean for us um person to person so let's start with adam good place to start in creating humanity god enjoyed us he's called us good He blessed us to multiply so that we would partner with him in bringing about dominion and flourishing on the earth. So God created friendship. And he also provided a clear picture of the health of our friendship with him. A tree would be a visible sign. If the tree remained uneaten, humanity believed God to be trustworthy in his rule and friendship to be as good as life gets. Each time Adam and Eve chose to not eat of the tree, their friendship and partnership with God in his world would be shown and built. The first half of Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, describes the kind of relationship God designed to have with humanity. It reads, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Are there any phrases more peaceful than that? I'll read it again. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
God dwelling physically among his people in harmony, undefiled love, unbroken trust. The relationship with God and man was an end in itself, not a means to some other thing that God would get through us or we might get through him. This is the simple and beautiful reality of the universe before sin. Yet even at this point, the kind of friendship between God and man is different than between two humans. Notice that everything is perfect because it's on God's terms. God created us. He is infinite and all-powerful. We are not. We cannot come up with something new that is better than what God has created. So obedience is fully one-sided. You can imagine uh, what a friendship between two people would look like if that's how it was. A bit odd. God is our friend because he desires our joy and acts to bring it about for us. And we are his friends because we agree with his good ways, which bring about pleasure in us. This is the type of friendship God created us to have with him. It's for our good. What else could be better? But that's clearly not the paradise we live in. We wanted life and relationships on our own terms, not God's. And we failed the test of the boundary that he put on our relationship and ate from the tree. Picking up from verse 8 there in Genesis chapter 3, it says, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me uh, to be with me, uh, she gave the fruit to me and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Uh, notice the first response to breaking the relational boundary God gave was to hide, to distance ourselves from God. And understandably so, immediately after disobeying God, Adam and Eve were internally condemned by the guilty conscience. We've all experienced this firsthand. Notice also humanity's sudden lack of honesty about their actions and attitudes. Adam doesn't acknowledge his actions rightly before God, rather conceals them and offloads the question focus to Eve. What we have on our hands here is the destruction of friendship caused by us. But God's character doesn't change. Consider the gentleness with which God talks to Adam and Eve after they have directly scorned him. He righteously removes them from the garden and puts a limit on their lifespan, but promises that sin will be done away with and restored one day through a saviour. How infinitely precious is God's grace toward us from the very beginning. As we move through history, let's look at Abraham. We see God interact and extend friendship and salvation to Noah. And then 10 generations later, um, God raises up Abram, the first person in the Bible to be explicitly called God's friend. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 12, it says, Now the Lord God said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless your name and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now similarly to Adam, we see a covenant made between God and Abram, initiated by God, not based on human merit. Yes, this is a fallen world, but it's God extending a covenant. God promises to bring about flourishing in the world through Abram if he will trust God. There's no tree like there was in Eden, but the relationship foundation is quite similar. Later in chapter 15, we see God is asking Abram to trust him with something that seems impossible to his own understanding. Abram has no child and he's too old to have one naturally, but God has promised that his family will someday grow into a great nation. From verse 5 it says, And God brought Abram outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you're able to number them, he said. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And just like Eden, God is concerned about what Abram loves. When God sees Abram is willing to trust him with his life, even when it seems impossible or out of his control, God says that Abram is righteous in his eyes. This is amazing. And as James showed in chapter 2, verse 23 that we read earlier, That's the very basis of Abram's friendship with God. He's no longer an enemy. He is now God's friend. Abram understood what God says in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see, it's impossible to be somewhere in between a friend and an enemy with God. He knows us too well. Another aspect of friendship with God uh, that seems asymmetrical is providing wisdom and counsel. You or I, in good relationship with one another, might provide counsel and wisdom because we acknowledge we both need it. But with God, as Isaiah 40 says, who has measured the spirit of the Lord, what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Or who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? However, since Adam, God has given people communion with him in prayer still. Whilst it might be asymmetrical, it's not one-sided. A good example of that is in Abraham's life is where Abraham intercedes for the people of Sodom. And God graciously spares ten. Lots family. So even then, uh, we have uh, our side of communication with friendship with God. And around 1600 years later, the offspring of Abraham has followed Abraham's great-grandson Joseph into Egypt and have become slaves to the Egyptians. And in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is shepherding sheep near Mount Sinai when God appears to him in a burning bush and promises to send him to Pharaoh to lead God's people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses doesn't obey immediately. I kind of feel like Moses a lot when I read his response. 
But he eventually follows after God's persistence and showing of a few more signs. And he leads God's people across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And what, po- what follows there is possibly the most uh, sustained and deep interaction between God and man, between Adam and Jesus. Uh, a couple of chapters there in Exodus, it's recorded that God showed him not only the sacrificial system, but plans for the temple and the Ten Commandments. But as he returns down from Mount Sinai, he finds that Israel have already rebelled. Because of their sin, God tells Moses to lead Israel into the promised land, yet says to him, I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you're a stiff-necked people. But even though God's uh, people had failed the covenant already, Moses knew that God's presence was the most precious thing, more than anything else. And there's a sustained dialogue and, and description of Moses continually Entering the tent, it's read in Exodus 33. It says, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand on the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, the people would rise up and worship each at his own door. Then the Lord used to speak with Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses is a great example of what it means to be a friend by wanting what God wants in the world and wanting God's presence in the world. Yet, like Abraham, Moses faltered and God didn't permit him to enter the promised land personally. Moses was a friend of God, but once again, uh, an imperfect one. Then, after 1,500 years, judges, kings, prophets, all pointing to a saviour, Jesus is born. God, the second person of the Trinity, puts on flesh and enters the world. Born of a virgin, he lives a perfect life of loving obedience to the Father. Jesus is the better Adam, Abraham and Moses who never breaks covenant. But better still, Jesus does not come as a perfect example of a friend of God. He came to restore others to the friendship he has with God, others who cannot do it themselves. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to save. The same promise that Abraham and Moses were brought into friendship with God because they believed he would save. We are likewise brought into friendship with God in the new covenant by faith in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And because we are given the perfection of Jesus through faith, our failures, like Abraham and Moses, might have earthly consequences, but they cannot separate us from the relationship with God, which will be fully experienced on the other side of the grave. So now we'll just look at I'd love you all to turn with me to a text, uh, John's, uh, uh, Jesus' words recorded in John chapter 15, verse 12, starting verse 12. And this is the... Text will just hang out in for a few minutes. John chapter 15, starting at verse 12. And we'll uh, read through to verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, 
to his disciples, to the church. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here Jesus is teaching us that God's desire for his people is that we love one another as Jesus loved us. Now, we probably know that quite well. But how does that link with our friendship with God and our friendship with others? This passage actually details it quite well when we think about it. Jesus says that there's no greater way for someone to love their friend than to lay down their life for them. Now, you might, when you're reading that, you might have actually, the verse might have come to your mind that thought, isn't it better, more glorious to lay down your life for an enemy than a friend? But the, the stress here is not the friend or enemy bit, their stress is that there is no greater love towards someone, even your friend, than to lay down your life for them. That's the stress. And we can see that because in the first verse there it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He did it first and he is bringing us into that. Jesus laid his life down to take away the holy wrath of God toward our wickedness while we were still sinners. See, none of us are born friends of God. Actually, Adam was. Uh, none of us are. But through Jesus, the, while we were still sinners, God took away our judgment so that by trusting in him, he has made us new that he would again dwell with us. But this time, unlike Abraham and Moses, it's dwell in us to seal us, that our hearts would be changed from the inside out and we would begin to fulfill his commandment to love one another. In this obedience of heart is what makes us, this obedience of heart is what makes us a friend of God rather than his enemy. Just as Abraham and Moses trusted God's grace toward them to enter restored relationship with God, our friendship with God follows and confirms that we have experienced his covenantal love. Notice also that this friendship isn't about service too, primarily. What does he say? Verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. Notice how God does that with Abraham and with Moses too. There's extended dialogues of God making known to these people his heart and his plans. And God has given us his word. We've got a whole lot more than what Moses and Abraham has. And we've got what they had plus a lot more, don't we? Which is pretty cool. 
So, therefore, it's actually good that our friendship with God is not the same as our friendship with one another. God brings us into friendship with him when we don't deserve it and cannot earn it. We are loved with a kind of love that we can't return. We can't lay down our life to enter into a relationship with God. He is the one that allows us to have communion and conversation with him in prayer. He is the one who gives us his word to understand everything to make obedience to him a light burden and a joy. He is the one that gives us good works to do, as it says here, fruit. He's the one that gives that to us and knows what we will do anyway. He is the one that welcomes us into his eternal home. It'd be odd if we could welcome God into our home. It's his anyway. Just imagine what friendship would be like with God if he had to obey our ideas 50% of the time. So to see how restored friendship with God leads to restored friendship with each other, let's have a look at verse 17. Let's read it again, John 15. So Jesus has commanded his people to love one another. And he explains that we're his friends, not his servants. But then at the end he says, These things I command you so that you will love one another. Not just love God, but that we love one another. So it's connected. I believe restored friendship happens when people love one another, motivated by their friendship with God, and want to display and point their friend to friendship with God as best they can as they walk through life together. When this kind of friendship is reciprocated, it's got the highest level of value and honour between people, a depth of trust, openness, unity, peace, wisdom, respect, joy, care, counsel and stickability through all of life's circumstances. Sounds pretty good. This is the kind of friendship that God desires his people to have with one another because he knows it's what's best for us and brings us joy in relationship that is genuinely otherworldly. But it's foreign to our natural hearts, isn't it? I know it is to mine. We all naturally struggle to deny our earthly identity and see God as our highest connection between one another. It's easier to, and more comfortable to spend time with enjoy company with someone who's connected to us in other ways. That's work or a hobby or even just a certain stage of life. I'll use a little example here just to kind of finish. Um, my next door neighbour, same, very similar age to me, uh, young-ish, <laughs> male, um, grown up in the same culture as me, all very similar We share a whole bunch of common interests. Uh, We like working on mechanical stuff and going four-wheel driving and camping and stuff like that. But I actually think someone like Simone here down the front who's a part of our community group is actually a better friend to me because she actually knows what is best for me according to God and will do that. See, my neighbour isn't going to be concerned if I become more distant from God. But Simone will. 
And in, in the way that uh, God talks about friendship, that's, that's really precious. And we can all have that with one another. It's not, it's not that friendship for Christians then is na- about anything that we naturally are. It's about who God made us to be and loving one another the way he made us to. I mean, I pray that my neighbour will someday come to know Jesus. Please pray for him. Um, and I'm sure I'll be a deep friend of him, a really, really deep friend with him then. But um, God hasn't made us only for community with people who are like us in earthly ways. Consider the friendship of Jonathan and David. How Jonathan's father was aggressively against David to the point he tried to kill him several times. Pretty good excuse to kind of break ties, you would imagine. Yet Jonathan knew God was with David rather than his father and therefore chose to covenant with David because he knew he would be a better friend than any other. And 1 Samuel 18 actually says that David, uh, Jonathan loved David even as his own soul. So may uh, friendship among us at uh, Restoration Church, or jump the gun there, uh, be motivated by and centred on our friendship with Jesus, each of us. That that would be our greatest joy and biggest witness to the goodness of God in the world. As Jesus says in John 13, As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There we go. Jesus even says we must love one another. (laughs) That's unreal. Uh, Praise God for his kindness toward us and his grace toward us. Uh, Let's let's pray. Uh, God, we we acknowledge that you have uh, initiated friendship with us in not just us here and now in Toowoomba in the 21st century, but every person who's ever had friendship with you, you have done something. Even with Adam, you had to make him in the first place. And friendship's your idea. You didn't have to create us. But out of the kind of overflow of your joy in yourself, you made us to image you and enjoy you. And We thank you for all these things, God. We are so... Um, yeah, we feel the, the weight of our sin help us to feel it more though God that we can come to know the, the true significance of um, your grace toward us on the cross um, that you who are holy uh, would pursue restored friendship with us and, and that we will know in glory that even, even more so than Adam and Eve that uh, you you have been gracious to us and what you have done to bring us back and restore us to relationship and friendship with you. And God, we thank you for the types of friendships that you've called us to. Uh, We are sorry when we forget and we think other types of ways of building friendships are better. Help us to be friends to people who don't know you, that maybe by your grace it would be reciprocated someday and they'll be brought in as well. So um, we, we love you, Father, and we ask for your help and your continued presence like Moses was uh, just so determined to have. Uh, would, you, would you help us to be determined to be in communion with you? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.